Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Mavens, a podcast about movies hosted by me, Carson Green. And me, Annie Janes. And uh, this here podcast is the home of this signature spicy double feature, which includes two movies uh, that are then compared and compa- and con- compared and compasted. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, like sometimes we like to watch two movies that are related in genre or director or main actor. Uh, we've even done same title. We did... Darren Aronofsky's mother, and we also did Boon Jong Ho's mother as a spicy double feature. So you know, we uh, we're we're kind of open to any sort of loose affiliation um, in terms of how these movies are related. This week's double feature is 1976's Martin Scorsese's uh, Taxi Driver and t- 2018's A24 produced first reformed and the way that these two are connected are they're both written by uh phil schrader is that his name bill paul paul schrader (laughs) (laughs) while i while i'm in here i'm just gonna real quick say it's bong joon ho and that first reformed came out in 2017 (laughs) just real fast fact checking you know what? You keep me honest. Oh, you keep me on my t- <laughs> What did I say that wasn't Bong Joon-ho? You said what did you I call say? him like Boon John Ho or something like that? You know, that so- that checks out. That sounds like something I would say. So <laughs> thank you for the fact check. But before we talk about our spicy double feature of Paul Schrader and not Phil Schrader and not Boon John, <laughs> uh, let's let's chat a little bit about what you've been watching. OK, basically, after watching all that 2020 had to offer, not really all of it, but after our last episode where we watched like the hottest releases of the 2020 season mm-hmm. after being not being wowed by a single one of them. I had to go and wow myself by watching one of my all time favorite movies that you still haven't seen. And I'm, at this point I'm afraid for you to watch it cause I don't want you to hate it, but I watched Mad Max Fury road. Okay. You know what? I take that as that as a challenge. And so um, I'll report back next week on my thoughts on Mad Max Fury Road. Thank Are you going to not like it like out of spite now? No, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to let it happen naturally. We'll see how I feel. I'm already terrified. <laughs> I'm glad you watched one of your favorite movies, though. Like, that's that's nice. That's a nice sentiment. Tell me about the experience. Basically, we... We already owned this movie on Blu-ray and we did the classic double dip because we recently got a PlayStation 5 that can play 4K Blu-ray discs. So we got the 4K Mad Max Blu-ray disc and watched it on that. So that was super awesome. We also recently invested in a subwoofer. So the viewing experience was great. Um, And... 
just I like I don't like it any less. I like it just as much as I always have. And it's just a movie that like you can't peel your eyes away. And it's also like 90 minutes. So it's a win, win, win situation. 10 out of 10. Tight. I love that. What have you been watching? Uh, You know what? I have been actually watching a lot of TV, which I know it's weird. Um, but, uh, the, I'm going to say the first one, the first series that I started watching, um, is an FX series that I found on Hulu, um, starring Kate Blanchett. It's called Mrs. America. Um, and the first season is, uh, it's about the women's movement. Of the 60s and, um, like, how women became, like, involved in politics and how uh, a lot of women on the conservative side were kind of playing politics behind their husbands, whereas, like, women on on the left were, like, up to bat themselves. And it was just really interesting to, to, like, see the portrayal of, um... Yeah, I guess just like early feminism. And I thought that it was a really thoughtful show. Um, It was well cast. It had Uzo Aduba. Yeah. Is that right? I don't know, but I know who you're talking about. So you're close. Okay. At the very least. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then it also had, uh, oh, what is her name? Rose Byrne. Oh. Yeah. It was just like really well cast beautifully acted um it's like a standalone season so i don't know if there's a second season coming out honestly i really don't care i probably won't watch it if it does but i recommend (laughs) mrs america as a look into kind of like the politics of that time and um yeah i recommend very cool well i personally love kate blanchett and support everything about her so Maybe I'll check it out. I don't know. I remember when that show hit, it just sort of came and went. So I don't know. I don't think they're doing any more, but I'm not sure. Well, what else have you watched? So I checked out the new NBC comedy, Mr. Mayor. Have you heard of this? Uh, With Ted Danson. Yes, with Ted Danson, who I love. Me too. This is a a Tina Fey joint uh, Mm -hmm. and somebody else, some other guy that she always collaborates with. And Tina Fey... Uh, has been, I think, canceled. You know, um, yeah, I don't really, she's not someone that I reach for in my bag of go and, you know, watch something funny anymore. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I'll, I mean, listeners, I'll let you check out all of that, but I think she's also, like, she knows this about herself. Like, she's talked about it. I don't know. Um, Kimmy Schmidt did not love. And then I heard that it got kind of racist, which I did. What I did see, I did witness some of that, but anyways, I didn't finish that, but I watched the first two episodes of Mr. Mayor, which is basically about a man who just won the like mayoral ship or whatever of, I think Los Angeles. And he is like, sort of out he's very out of touch because he's super rich and he's sort of juggling his teenage daughter who 
is also like running for a class president in high school and he's battling um, a well, hang on let me pause you let me pause you okay ted danson's like 80 years old right and he- we're supposed to believe he has a teenage daughter well we thought that too okay. but then his wife or the mom is like out of the picture. And so I think it's implied that he's just like an old man, like one of those like old man, young wife situations. Oh, okay. Um, but he's, he's young at heart. Um, anyway, that's true. He's also dealing with a city council member who's played by Holly Hunter, who I adore. And she's sort of like his nemesis in this show, so to speak. But the show, I watched two episodes. I laughed out loud. A handful of times it I think is like trying to be too relevant. Like there's already some COVID things in that show, which I absolutely hated seeing. Like they brought up mm. murder hornets. That's not COVID, but that's 2020. They brought up murder mm. hornets and I was like immediately turned off. Yeah. It's like, we're trying to escape bitches. Yes. Don't remind me like, Please. Anyways, I think it takes place in like a post COVID world because like some people have masks on sometimes and then they brought up murder hornets. So anyway. Um, And I also think it's like trying to be very, very like progressive and inclusive, probably because Tina Fey like feels guilty. I don't know. I will probably watch a couple more episodes just to see where it goes. I don't think it's like you know, immediately as funny as the other NBC comedy hits of the past, but I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. We'll see where it goes. And it's on Hulu. If uh, anyone out there wants to check it out. Tight. I've been thinking, I've been actually thinking about rewatching the good place. Oh my God. I love the good place. I know me too. I I love Ted Danson. And like that, that's just such a good cast. Oh, actually this is a perfect seg. Okay. Um, I have also been watching Bridgerton. I only have watched two episodes. This is the like uh, Netflix original that just took Twitter by storm. Yes. Um, and, and it's like uh, an aristocratic, like English debutante ass situation. And um, <laughs> it's 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 um, produced by Shonda Rhimes, who oh. is famous for. Uh, the Grey's Anatomy and then like that whole world. So like there was a bunch of different spinoffs. Anyway, Shonda Rhimes um, now is doing stuff with Netflix, which is really cool to see. Um, It's okay. Uh, It's, it's clever. Um, But the, (laughs) the reason I connected Bridgerton and a good place is because the queen it kind of is like a knockoff Maya Rudolph, like the queen of this like aristocratic, whatever where London, whatever this world is. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still kind of putting it together. You're like I don't know anything but, about England. <laughs> yeah, like where it? I hear it's an island. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> they have accents. <laughs> um. Yeah, so uh, the queen, I it's kind of like honestly regrettable. Like this woman doesn't have a big role. It's more the show is more zeroed in on a sing a single family, the Bridgertons, haha, <laughs> <laughs> and more specifically the one daughter who is being presented for marriage, uh, Daphne. 
Um, so the queen literally, like, she's not on screen very often in the two episodes that I've watched. And yet I can't stop thinking about her. Like, <laughs> she just, she has a, a pompous attitude that I can't get enough of. Oh. Um, but, like, the show is very female forward. Um, it's trying really, uh... I wouldn't say unsuccessfully, but it's trying to be sex positive, which is cool. Um, the cast is diverse. Uh, one of the main, quote unquote, houses of like, you know, that are being presented during the debutante season um, is a predominant black family. So like, um, you know, it's kind of it's neat. Like, it's a neat idea. Um, it's OK. I. And watching it with my mom, who already watched it, so <laughs> I'm, like, getting her to fill me in on all of the things that I'm just, like, not interested in, maybe. All that England shit. <laughs> yeah, all that England shit. <laughs> Precisely, Annie. Uh, yeah, I don't know. A soft recommend if you're into uh, that sort of thing. I mean, obviously, like, the internet has already taken it by storm, but... Yeah, that's honestly, that's why I'm interested. But I am riding the wave out just like I rode the wave of Queen's Gambit. Everyone was talking Mm. about it. And then it came and went. And I want to see if this comes and goes or if it's going to stick. But I have heard it has already been signed on for eight seasons because you mentioned Shonda Rhimes, but she is like the queen of TV production. And oh, yeah. Shonda Land. Yeah. So now that. Now that I hear, I didn't know this was her piece, but like now that I hear she's attached to like the eight season thing, uh, totally makes sense. And and I'm more intrigued now. I hear it's kind of like Gossip Girl meets whatever you describe, like aristocratic England stuff happening. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the unique thing about it here is the introduction of different races to this high society. And like, and like sex, like, I assume. Yeah. But, like, you know, if if those two things are what it are, like, you know, your calling card, they're doing a great they're doing a great job over there. OK, well, I feel like ever since The Favorite came out. You know, there's been show after show of of this, like there was that one with Nicholas Holt and oh, yeah. the Fanning Girl, which I watched like some of and I really enjoyed, but I didn't enjoy it enough to like keep watching for whatever reason. And that was written by the guy that wrote The Favorite. And now this is happening. Like, I think it's just, like, becoming a popular um, setting again. Hmm. Well, we'll see. Uh, on a complete opposite end of that. This is why this is why we work right here, because of the variety. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I watched the first season of Gendry Tarkovsky's Star Wars Clone Wars animated series. This is Okay. N- Go ahead. I have heard that that is a good series, the Whoa. animated series. The yeah. the fact that you've heard that means it it is good. <laughs> but this is not <laughs> the 3D animated Clone War- Wars which is like apparently good but sort of a chore to get through. This is a 2D animated I think it's like two or three seasons total. And each episode is only 10 minutes long. And this is created by the creator of Samurai Jack and the new Primal show on um, Adult Swim. 
And he's just a really, really awesome animation director. But the show is has been like vaulted essentially by Disney. You can't stream it anywhere. You can't buy it anywhere. They just like took it out of the canon essentially. And I don't know why, because it's so awesome. But I watched this on YouTube. There's like a HD upload of it. Um, and I just watched the first season, which only took like an hour because every episode's only 10 minutes long. And they edited oh, yeah, out nice. like all the credits. So it feels like one long piece. This is a look into like the Star Wars universe that has never been like put on screen before. And 80% of the show is completely silent, which is my favorite thing about um, Gendry Tarkovsky, especially in like Samurai Jack. He does the same thing. Everything is just like animation on screen and storytelling through action and few words. In my favorite episode so far, there's like a it's. Oh, God, I'm forgetting his name. It's Samuel Jackson's character fighting just like a group of enemies over this farm that a boy like stands over and watch watches this happen. And that's the whole episode. And it is so good. Like every episode is like that. It's just like a tiny little event. And then it moves on. And like Anakin is in this. And so it sort of has something to do with like the actual Star Wars series, but it's just really, it's really good. And it's an easy recommend if anybody likes Star Wars and hasn't seen it. Tight. Yeah. I'm just going to circle us back to the real world here um, and just say that I have just finished the first season of Veep, which came out in 2012. Did you know that? Did you say Veep? Yeah. The with a the. Oh, Veep. wait, for the first time or re- did you say rewatch? Oh, I'm rewatching it. Yeah. So I just finished the first episode or the the first season um, today, actually. Oh. Actually, at, I finished it after we I watched First Reform because I was like, I need a palate cleanser. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I adore Veep. Um, I just, you know, I. I just want to be Julia Louis-Dreyfus when I grow up. <laughs> and there, I forgot a lot of, like, the major plot points, so it's really funny. Like, I remembered a lot of the one-liners just because it's so smart, mm-hmm. but I forgot so many major plot points that I'm just, like, having such a blast reliving. And we just got introduced Kent and Ben, and Ben is my absolute favorite character to ever exist in a TV show. <laughs> He is so fucking funny and, like, just such a well-written politician. Yeah. God, that show is Uh -uh. so good. And the shame about that show is that, like, when its last season aired, the creators were basically like, real life has out-comedied our show. Like, we can no longer make a parody about the United States government because, like, real life has surpassed it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, you know what? Well, listener, we did bring you here to, to, uh, to be sad about the state of the world and the, um, insurrection that happened at the Capitol this past week. Mm -hmm. Um, we just merely want to talk about our spicy double feature. Which is Taxi Driver First Reform. You've already introed them. Um, yeah, 
Let's talk about, let's freaking, you know what, I'm ready, I'm ready to leave the TV shows behind. Let's get into some meatiness of Taxi Driver. Yes. Let's hear a clip from the trailer. I'd like to volunteer. Why? Why? Because I think that you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. The taxi driver is looking for a target. Getting ready. Getting organized. Preparing himself for the only moment in his life that will ever mean anything. How much for everything? 350 for the Magnum, 250 for the 38, one and a quarter for the 25, 150 for the 380. That taxi driver's been staring at us. You talking to me? Well, then who the hell else are you talking? Talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Will you hit me with some facts? Certainly. Okay, Taxi Driver came out in 1976. You can watch this bad boy on Netflix. It was directed by Martin Scorsese. It was written by Paul Schrader, starring Robert De Niro. It has a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Don't forget that that website did not exist when that movie came out. And it has a budget. I looked up the budget because I forgot I used to do that. Of $1.9 million. And here is the description from IMDb. A mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City where the perceived decadence and sleaze fuels his urge for violent action by attempting to liberate a presidential campaign worker and an underage prostitute. So, Carson. Yeah. This is my first time I'd ever seen this movie. I want to know, had you seen it before? And I want to know what your initial thoughts are for this watch. So um, I attempted to watch it like, like six or eight months ago because I knew that Paul Schrader wrote it. And I also knew that he wrote First Reform. So I started to watch it and I got like... I don't know, maybe a half hour in. And it was just like really way too slow for me on that watch. But on this watch, and you know what? I have the same complaint of First Reform, actually. I think the first act is just really way too fucking slow on that movie, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. But back to Taxi Driver. Um, I, uh, uh, on this watch, I, um, it was really, um, gripping. Uh, and... I felt like mm, the pacing was done really well and like um his the Robert De Niro's descent into like paranoia and fucking weirdo fantasy mental illness land is it, it was paced really well and it was believable and I think that um Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't say I enjoyed watching this (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination because it is a difficult watch. But I I think that like as a kind of slice of life profile view of this just like insomniac psychosis ridden person, I think it's like it was just really interesting and gripping and, and well done, in my opinion. Yeah. I, okay, I'd never seen this movie. I had never tried to see this movie. It was one of those films where, like, I know I need to watch this in my life. 
because everyone rate raves about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the more you hear that, the less you want to watch it. And then time goes on and then you just don't watch it. But what I love about this podcast is it, it makes me like just sit down and watch a dang movie like I'm in mm-hmm. film school again. Except I don't have to write a paper on it afterwards, which is great. So anyways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that all of the individual parts of this movie were done so well. Like Robert De Niro is acting super well and the lighting is very cool. This movie is like seeping and just vibes. The music is awesome. The shots are really awesome. And I think the best part about this movie is the writing by far. And all of that stuff is so good. But I think the just the what this movie is about is like sort of a ding for me because it is just like a meandering look at a dude's life. And this dude in question is like not like doing very good things. Like he's just, (laughs) he's just got bad behavior. I don't know how to put it, but he's no hero. He's sort of like a villain main character and it's not a fun watch. Like you said, it's not only slow, but this guy is doing things that you don't want to see him do essentially. Um, and I fear, I don't think this is happening with this movie, but I get that fear of like, Oh God, I hope people don't watch this and idolize him. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, kind of like the Columbine shooters. I just mean even like the Joker, where people are like, oh, the Joker. Oh. I'm just like him. It's like, no, it's it's not supposed to be like that. But I don't think, I don't think like people do that in this movie, but I don't know. Anyway. Those are my initial thoughts, but oh, in the biggest um, thing, one of the biggest things I want to mention too is that I had no clue what this movie was going to be about, and watching it, I just like I cannot believe the plot was the plot because it just I didn't expect it to be about what it was at all. I don't know why it was so surprising to me. I kind of feel the same, and I also don't know why. I. I think it was just, I think it's just because it's just like one of those movies that you just kind of talk about in passing. Like, oh, have you seen Taxi Driver? Yeah, you really need to. Then, and then just like, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) At least these days, you know, like, I'm sure it was different, like when it came out and even the years following, but, you know, 2021 is like, okay, you know, you consider yourself a film buff and you haven't seen every Martin Scorsese movie. Really? (laughs) That's how it feels these days whenever you tell people that you haven't seen it. It's like, okay, so there's so I, many movies guess, out there. Anyway, sorry. Just That's just to say that, like, I don't know. I don't think that people are talking about the subject matter. And that's why we had no idea what the plot was. Because I'm the same. I was the same way. Like, I went into it blind. And um, the first time I watched it, I went into it blind. Um, and got to, like, where he was kind of obsessed with... Um, the what she's like a volunteer no she's betsy yeah um she's like a campaign um organizer uh and she is really fucking cool 
she's like a very cool character yes. and like I think the best written character in this film. Yes. Um like she's complicated, she's a woman. Like she has goals and she has a career and like she is not afraid to look after herself and to tell men fuck you and like she, she's a bad bitch. I really my favorite scenes were all of the scenes with her of her just like being cool. I literally like have this- a, a note down here that says I love the way Betsy talks to Travis or Martin Scorsese or Martin or uh, Robert De Niro's character. I just love the way she just talks to him. Oh, go on. Like, I don't know. Like she just was so distant. Like she's just trying to figure her out him out. I don't know if it's like the acting or the writing. It's probably both, but it's basically what you're saying. She just like is a badass woman. And that, and she, I think proves the point of this movie of like, Travis is not to be like idolized and also like what he is doing, especially like with Betsy, it's just like not the, not what you're supposed to be doing. And she just, just handles everything so well. Like I just want to handle things the way she handles things. (laughs) Honestly. Okay. Me too. Like, all right, dear listener, here is um, a little spoiler and you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say, like, moving forward, we're, this is going to be spoiled. Um, but one of my, like, oh, my God. Honestly, the best scene. No, not the best scene. I'm going to say the second best scene in the movie was when she walked out of the dirty movie that he took her to. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, what are you fucking? <laughs> are you out of your fucking mind? Like, are you dense? Why the fuck did you bring me here? Like, you, this is your idea of a date? I'm a woman. And I was just like, go off, queen. Yes, tell him. Yes. And he tries, he like, she gives him the record back and he's like, no, it's for you. And she's like, I already have this, which she didn't reveal to him earlier. I just love that. Dude. Yes. It was like, it was, yeah, she, <laughs> she was just so, she stuck up for herself and she stood her ground and she just, she had no interest in coddling this obviously like broken man's feelings. She was like, you know what, dude, like I already have this record. Go <laughs> shove it up your ass. I've got to go. <laughs> yeah, for real. She was one of the best things about that movie for sure. Also, I just have to talk like for the first, I don't know, hour, hour and 20 minutes. I just like watching Travis was sort of it was sort of scary because I'm like, this is literally what a a nice guy is. Do you know this term? I'm sure you do. Like, yeah, he's literally like an insult. You know what? I really I thought it was interesting, like his descent into madness and then just like the the giant age gap between his love interests. Well, in the movie, they state he's only 26. Right. He's 26. Let's say Betsy's, I don't know, 30. And then he like becomes obsessed with Iris, who is played by what's her name? Uh, Jodie Foster. Yeah. Who is 12 and a half. But that wasn't, I don't think that was a sexual relationship. He just had a savior complex. Like he just wanted to save her. Yeah. But I mean, yes. And even if he didn't 
like it wasn't a sexual thing. It was still just like you said, it it was not right. Like he should not have been doing any of those things that he was doing. And it was so painful to watch him like it, it was just like he tried to woo this, you know, businesswoman who was so out of his league and then, the, like, the next, his next interest, whether it be a love interest or what have you, is a 12 and a half year old. Like, it was just kind of weird to me how quickly he descended. Yeah, just, it, I don't, I think it represented, like, his, the disintegration of his mind. And, like, he kind of went back to childhood, it, like, in, in terms of, like, rudimentary feelings. Mm-hmm. I agree with just, all of that. It's just like, it's just, you know, like whenever you're a kid, it's like fight or flight. And then like, that's pretty much it. And that's kind of like the level that he was on. Cause he wasn't sleeping his fucking eyes. Oh my God. I don't know who the makeup artist was <laughs> on this, but like his eyes were scary. Yeah. Yeah. He, I don't, I don't know how like, They just encapsulated that type of person so well. Who's like, I'm not going to, I'm only going to eat things that are good for my body. And I have to go around and saving everyone that needs saving, but nobody actually needs saving at all. Like, it's just such a type to this day. I think um, there's a, a two, really, there's a two word kind of, title that we can put on this guy and in 2021 i'm just gonna say it like it's just another white guy (laughs) i think it's strong neck beard incel nice guy energy it's like a combo of all those things there's a venn diagram there Uh, yeah i'm i'm visualizing it i'm picturing (laughs) it um i want to talk about my favorite scene possibly probably like ever Ever of all time or of the movie? Like, definitely of the last handful of movies that we've watched. Whoa. Okay, tell me. Um, It was the shootout scene. Okay, really? Tell me why. Okay, so I knew that you were going to have this reaction. Because, listener, I don't really do well with, like, gun violence on screen. It's just not... My thing. I'm not into it. It doesn't tickle my fancy. You should not and watch I, Mad Max. I'm just going to say it again. <laughs> I'm watching it next week. We're talking about it. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so but this scene, this the shootout scene in this film in Taxi Driver is the the most strategically lit and shot scene like i could just see all of the logistics it was like it was just so smart it was so smart all of the all of the pans were smart all of the music was smart every every shot and and the lighting that we got on every shot and all of the different colors that we got with all of the different characters were just it was just so it was like like the, the this is the type of scene that like film lovers revere. It's just like cinematic genius and just it it was just so 
beautiful and also fucked up because people got shot. But for some reason, it was like it was so beautiful that I was distracted by that fact. It was working for you. Yeah. Well, I think also one of the things you alluded to here that is also like just another thing about that scene that works so well is the blocking and blocking Mm -hmm. blocking just means where the characters move on screen, which is usually decided by the director. So like before they shoot a a scene, like way before, like during rehearsals, they decide like, you're going to sit here. You're going to stand up. You're going to walk to that mark. You're going to turn to the camera. You're going to turn around again. It's like all of that. And the hallway scene I thought was blocked super well because it takes place like on the entryway of the building, like up a corner two flights of stairs that like form a corner and like into a room and the characters are like moving from scene to from room to room and new characters are introduced. Like it, it was done really well. And it was like, like you said, it was just like a masterclass in a gun shootout scene. Yeah. Yeah. A masterclass in a gun shootout scene by Martin Scorsese himself. Yeah. Um, but also there's like a famous cut in this movie, like an edit a single cut, which is like always a fun and rare thing where like literally a cut in a movie becomes famous. Like there's the Lawrence of Arabia, like match to desert cut, which is probably the one of the most famous cuts in all of history. But there's one here in this movie and it's the one where he drops like the Alka-Seltzer in his glass and he stares at it and stares at it and stares at it. And then is finally like snapped out of it. That is a, a cut that is referenced a lot when People are teaching you how to edit. Fun fact. I I can't think of it. Is he in the diner? He's in the diner, yeah, with his buddies. And okay. he's just staring at his glass that's bubbling with Alka-Seltzer. And then finally, I think his buddy like calls his attention. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't note it at all. So, cool. Tight. Fun fact. Um... <laughs> You know what I do? I have one. I have one final thought on this. Okay. Um. So I. So, listen. I love Betsy. I think she's the baddest bitch ever. Um. And the the end of the movie and like the final scene and even the credits. Oh my god, Annie! I want to watch an entire movie of just <laughs> Betsy in the rearview mirror. Oof. And like, okay, but but the way that the camera was situated was like we were watching her just like there was no edge to the mirror whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So like the shot just bled into like the front of the cab, which was lit up with like street lights and like the wetness of the road. And and like you could see people walking in front of the cab like it was just so. Oh, I want to watch. Th- I want to watch an entire movie that is shot like that. That's the vibes that I'm. I was referencing earlier. There it is. Yeah, it's tight. Like it was just like yeah. so beautiful. I do want to touch on the ending too before we wrap it up. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to talk about this again when we talk about first reform, but. I think in this movie, I there is like a a theory or an idea that 
he died basically when he got shot in the neck and everything we see after is just like a continuation of his fantasy. And the same can be said about first reformed, which we'll talk details of, but I think my opinion is that I don't know. I don't even know. I said, I don't know, but I think it is true just because they went, they had the effort of showing his like neck scar. But at the same time, I'm like, there's no way he could have survived that. But I don't know. What do you think of that, of the ending? How do you interpret it? Um, I, I wanted the film to end. Yes. Uh, as Jodie Foster was crying next to the couch. That and shot. Robert De Niro, like, yeah. he, like, took his final breath on the couch. The shot then, with the camera above the set yes. was so... I thought it was, like, credits are gonna roll. Yeah, I, I, like, legit wanted the movie to end. But I am glad that it didn't end, because then I got that shot of Betsy in the rearview mirror. <laughs> but, like, outside of that, I thought that the ending was kind of useless. And, like, I don't know. It... it um, yeah, I think after the shootout scene, it was like, it just kind of bit off more than it could chew and it didn't really wrap anything up for us. I, well, I disagree. I think it, I think it wrapped it up because like he was considered a hero. And then when confronted with Betsy again, who was like the start of his, not, she wasn't the start of his problems, but that was like the start of his situation when confronted with her again, he like was mature about it and just said goodbye. And he didn't like, you know, there was no like sting in his like in seeing her. And there was no like him trying to ask her out again. And that was like his character resolution of like he has bettered himself. He's moved on. But I th- the theory is that like none of that is actually real and it's his fantasy. Like he wouldn't be a hero. He could be a murderer potentially. And like he wouldn't walk the streets and he wouldn't like, he wouldn't like have it in him to maturely just say goodbye to Betsy. Like that is one theory, but the other is that all that just happened. So I think the scene is necessary, but it it didn't like the pacing of it felt odd because of the shootout scene just felt so like final. Final. Yeah, um, and I just, I didn't, I, I think, like, I didn't find resolve in that because it just, like, wasn't believable. I didn't, I didn't believe that this guy was mm. reformed. I, so maybe like, it's all faked. That theory stands well, true. And then also, like, there's literally hundreds of thousands of cabs in New York City, and <laughs> we're supposed to believe that uh, Betsy got into his I can, I'm sorry I can believe that that's that sounds like some what's that YouTube channel where the guy just like shits on every little problem in a movie <laughs> I don't know it's so annoying he's like oh the ketchup bottle wasn't there a second ago oh uh, well okay but sorry this is not a ketchup bottle there's literally no, hundreds of thousands I, of cats this is what <laughs> movies are though. this is what stories are they like bend yeah reality God, okay annie <laughs> don't preach at me about this final scene of taxi driver which has a 96 percent on rotten tomatoes and it's directed by martin scorsese okay i get it <laughs> i don't like it but i get it that's funny because literally your closing thoughts 
my final thought says everyone loves it comma i don't get it (laughs) (laughs) literally that's what i have here um you know i think that uh i as a film lover as a pop culture critic i'm glad that this exists for two reasons Mm. betsy's character (laughs) and the shootout scene what would you score it you know what I'm going to go ahead and give it a 7.5. Whoa, we don't do halvesies. Do we do halvesies? I just did. Wow. Well, I am going to give it a 7. I think the individual parts are great, but the story is not one I could really connect with. Movie Maven score. I'm going to just say it's a 7. We've never done (laughs) halvesies. I don't ever want to do halvesies again. Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) 7.25. Out of 10. <laughs> um, all right. Well, great. Let's move on to uh, 2017. Uh, first reform. Um, let's hear a clip from the trailer. No, I have not lost my faith. You think that what we did together was a sin? I've seen enough real sin to know the difference. You didn't tell the police, right? Take a look at your own life before you criticize others. These are frightening times. We have to be patient. Well, somebody has to do something. Are you So First Reform was written and directed by Paul Schrader. If you don't remember, he wrote Taxi Driver. Not um, to be confused with Phil Schrader, yeah, which is another which is a person that I named earlier in the podcast <laughs> episode that may or may not be in film. Okay, continue. Yeah, Sorry. Phil, that's somebody else. Uh this is this movie starring Ethan Hawke and Amanda Seyfried. It is an A24 joint. We you know, I was thinking when I was writing that, that we should have like an A24, like alarm, like sound the alarms. <laughs> I mean, I certainly feel like the alarm is sounded whenever I think of them. Exactly. Um, it has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. The budget was $3.5 million, And if you want to watch this movie, you can rent it. Or if you have Showtime, I believe you can watch it on there. Here is the description from IMDb. A minister of a small congregation in upstate New York grapples with mounting despair brought on by tragedy, worldly concerns, and a tormented past. So, Carson, hit me with your initial thoughts. Um, I do want to just say that you can get a free trial, a free 30-day trial of show, Showtime through iTunes right now. Um, nice. Just FYI. So you can watch this movie uh, for free for 30 days. Don't forget to cancel your subscription. <laughs> um, my So I watched this movie in theaters whenever it very first came out because I have a huge crush on Ethan Hawke. I think Ethan Hawke is... A better Sam Rockwell than Sam Rockwell is. Ooh. And no, I will never stop shitting on Sam Rockwell. 
Um, I, I agree. Mean, I just, <laughs> I really, really like Ethan Hawke. Same. Um, and actually, here's a fun fact. Uh, so Paul Schrader approached Amanda Seyfried about playing this role and found out that she was pregnant and then rewrote <gasps> her character to include the pregnancy. What? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I love that. Me too. Like, I read that. It's just like a snippet of a review earlier. And I was like, wow, that's really, I don't know. I, I like felt differently about Paul for some reason. <laughs> I wonder if her name was always Mary or if he changed it after he found out she was pregnant. Oh, that's a that's a really juicy fact I'd like to find out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just uh, I like this movie, um, but it's kind of like a like a swift kick in the face, <laughs> you know, like, yes, it, it's it, it's like um, it's like here. Here's all of the symbolism of what is wrong with this world wrapped up in this Ethan Hawke plays a reverend ass, dark ass, gray movie. (laughs) And, but the funny thing, what I thought you were getting at is like, this movie is all of those things. And then the final 10 minutes is a swift kick in the face. I feel like the whole thing is a swift kick in the face. I mean, like, honestly, I was so deeply uncomfortable by the idea of like, okay, the, there's a shot of Ethan Hawke's character is he we find out that he has like some sort of stomach cancer or something yeah um and he is what we learn to be like kind of a heavy drinker yeah and there's a shot where he's having a glass of whiskey and he pours Pepto-Bismol in it and then the camera just stays yes. on the Pepto-Bismol and it's like oil and water. They're like not mixing. And I just like, oh my God, it was so uncomfortable. Okay. Like that felt like a kick, kick in the face. Like the whole, it was just like, all of it was kind of painful for me. And I don't know if that like is because I watched Taxi Driver this week because of the instruction in the Capitol this week or... Because it is just like a deeply fucked up movie. I can't I, like I I can't really f- uh, it, um delineate my thoughts there. So I'd love to hear yours. Uh, it could be all three, but before I even jump into my thoughts, the shot of the Pepto Bismol and the whiskey is the same setup as in Taxi Driver, which I think I hope is a nod, like when he drops Alka Seltzer, and as I brought up earlier, so. And I have more similarities I want to talk about, too. But my initial thoughts are, first of all, Cedric the Entertainer is in this movie, and I just have to get that out in the world. Just have to say it. (laughs) I really liked him, too. Um, I think this is like a really, really interesting and well done examination of the church that we normally don't see on screen. And like Paul Schrader does this. It feels like feels like he's a fly on the wall. Like he's like, this is what the church experience can be like. It's specifically Catholic church. So maybe I'm not, I could be very wrong here. Cause I, uh, am not Catholic. So I don't know, but 
like he just sets the camera down and he's like, here, kids, sing this song about the, like the lamb's blood washing your clothes. It'll be great. And but he isn't commenting on it. He's just like letting it play out. And that happened like that whole movie is like that because it is so slow. It is a very slow burn. And for that reason, like I could not recommend this to almost anyone except film lovers. Like I would not be like, hey, buddy, old pal, check this movie out. Yeah, no, I if honestly, like if you haven't seen it. That's OK. Yeah. But if you're a, a cinema lover. Yeah, uh, you should watch it at some point. Um, and lastly, just like initial thought, like before we were going to get in the weeds here, the ending of this movie, I, this is my second viewing, but the ending of this movie stuck with me since I had seen it in whatever, I think I saw in like 2018 and will probably stick with me for years to come because it is just it. The ending is also a swift kick in the face, much like the rest of the movie is, but I want to talk about some specifics and I just want to call out all the similarities that I noticed to taxi driver. I don't know if you noticed any too that, uh, but the the biggest before you do that, I want to pull a a really quick similarity between the green mile and uh, this movie. Um, So famously Tom Hanks in the green mile has like the worst bladder infection or like UTI, like of any human person ever. And he's like pissing blood for like weeks at a time and um, we get a really fun and funky shot of Ethan Hawke literally pissing blood. And then the camera pans up from the bowl and we're legit, like looking at his pained face. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Painful to watch. Taxi driver. Yes. Painful to watch. That was like everything was pa- everything in this movie is painful to watch. Yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> so. Okay, biggest one is that both movies uh, have an element where the main character is journaling and has voiceover of what they're writing in their journals. Yes, I noticed that. That was the first thing I noticed, actually, because it's like the first, it's like the opening shot. Yeah, yeah. In both movies. Mm-hmm. Um, another is that, like, they're both about men who, like, can't do something, and because of that, it sort of leads to their, like, whatever it is, like fall into madness or like utter despair of the world in taxi driver. He can't sleep. And in this movie, he can't pray. He says that a lot. Like he can't pray. And I think yeah. that like Schrader's doing the same thing here. Like because he can't pray, he loses like complete, just like hope of the world and of life and like does what he does essentially. Um, Another similarity is they both like stand in the mirror with weapons and are going to commit uh, mass crimes or are thinking about committing like a mass murder. Like in Taxi Driver, he was going to shoot up the campaign rally, which he didn't do. And then in in this movie, he was going to bomb the like church party anniversary, but he also didn't do it. And Reconsecration. Consecration? Reconsecration. Reconsecration. Consummation. <laughs> um, and then lastly, the ending 
of both movies, I think, are questionable in their reality, but we can wait to get to the ending of First Reformed. Um, so, yeah, I... What do you what do you feel about the style of this movie? Like the aspect ratio, the look of it, like that sort of thing. You know, it's funny that you mentioned the uh, Blood of the Lamb mm-hmm. <laughs> on, because then like the next scene or like in two scenes, we literally see blood on the snow and like the song is talking about like getting blood on your white garments or yeah. something like that. Yeah. It was so like... It, it reminded me that scene, and it's it's interesting that you brought that up as kind of just like he like put the camera down and just like let them do their thing. It really reminded me of this movie, and this is gonna this is like super obscure, and I don't know who was involved with it. It's a two thousand and five like back catalog mm-hmm. movie called Elephant, which was about a school shooting. Um, and it starred John Robinson, who played Stacy Peralta in Catherine Hardwick's uh, Lords of Dogtown a couple of years later. Um, but it, but that film, Elephant, is um, very much that style. And it also plays with a lot of references to the scenery that we eventually see of, like, the school shooting. So, like, this... Them talking about the blood of the lamb staining like white was just, first of all, it was apropos for the next scene whenever we see Michael's brains splattered all over the white snow. Mm-hmm. But then also, it's kind of like looking into the future of Ethan Hawke's character and like how, you know, he up until now was kind of satisfied with his life and, you know, he was doing fine at first form and his congregation of all of 10 people. Um, and then he meets this woman and become, and like, you know, obviously he meets Michael and you can tell that like the things that Michael was concerned about really like weighed heavy on this guy. And so like his whole being went from kind of like white and snowy to sullied and like sort of bloody in that way. And I just like really appreciated all of the intricate symbolism of like things like that. And I think that details are like details are Paul Schrader's like he knows he does that shit well. Yeah. And dude, I did not even realize the like blood uh, lamb choir student choir song cutting to the guy who died yeah i did not even connect that that's that's pretty good well and then too like um i mentioned earlier the um pepto-bismol and the whiskey yeah um that's another kind of like symbolism of like putting a band-aid on like a much deeper problem yeah. i mean <laughs> like let's be honest um which was also so, like what Michael was trying to do with his like martyrism, which he didn't end up being like a martyr, but like like that would have been a band-aid on you know, a giant sinkhole, you know. Right. Yeah, it's like it's like climate change sucks. <laughs> I'm going to end my life and that's my only protest. Right, right. Um 
Yeah, I I just like uh sorry, going back to your question about the vibes and um the aspect ratio irritated me. Just like what's the point, guys? <laughs> what I, it was the very first thing that I noticed and I was immediately irritated. I didn't mind it, but I do I know that people are like one side or the other of this issue. And I am on I'm pro weird aspect ratios, but you know, I get it. Not everyone is down to clown. I think, <laughs> honestly, I think it has to do with my job and the fact that, like, mm. everything <laughs> has to be right on social media. <laughs> like, you can't post a facebook size graphic on Instagram. That, okay, I won't, I will never say anything like that on this podcast ever again. <laughs> but Can God forgive you? I think that's why I get irritated at aspect ratios, which sucks because, like, it now it has bled into my hobby. Yeah. God. Sorry about it. What about, like, Grand Budapest Hotel? Um, there's literally, like, that's the most beautiful movie to ever exist. So it doesn't matter. I, okay. Well, I want to get back on the vibes just real quick because I read an interview with Paul Schrader where he said he wanted to make a movie that could be spiritual in style and not in like the content of the film. And which I, I can, I can see here first in like the framing of everything, which this is where I think the aspect ratio helps because I'm like noticing the, how everyone is framed a lot more than I would if it was like taking up the whole TV screen. Mm. But the, the first thing that came to my mind when I heard that was the scene between Ethan Hawken and Amanda Seyfried, where they're doing what she calls the magic. um, Is it the magical mystery tour? Is that what she calls it? Yeah. I think that's what it's called where they like lay on the ground on top of each other and just like make as much, contact as possible and as this is happening the the room around them fades away into scenes of like beautiful the beauty of earth and then cutting to the destruction of it through climate change and literal just trash um and that scene was awesome i remember loving that scene the first time i saw it yeah i watched that um while I was eating, and it was like a very interesting experience. Oh, spicy double feature. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, yeah, but that's interesting, though. Yeah. What did you What did you say? A spirituality to be felt through the aesthetics and not just the writing. Not yeah, the aesthetics, but not the writing, but the content of the film. So he was like content. talking about how movies like th- that are about um, religion. And Christianity are usually like from like from the like Christian group or religious group. And they're usually really bad. And he said he just wanted to make a movie about that, but not in the content itself, but rather just like the experience of like watching something spiritual to just happen through the visuals alone. Well, that's really interesting. It's one part interesting um, and one part like, are you up your own butt a little bit, you know? Well, to call your I, own work a spiritual experience. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm going to have to say that it like he didn't achieve 
if if that's what he set out to do, I would say that that was not achieved. But it's an interesting like way to go about visualizing and then executing a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it it it'd be interesting to watch the movie knowing that. But I don't think I will watch this movie again for at least like ten years if I can help it. I don't think I ever want to watch it again, honestly. Like, um, dear listener, I told Annie this. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, I, um, had to stop this film 10 minutes short, um, because of a really disturbing visual scene of Ethan Hawke wrapping barbed wire around his body, Mm -hmm. um, in like, what is, what is like the, uh, practice in Catholicism called? That's a practice? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Do they really do that? Yeah, well, I mean, like, really devout people who, like, want to be closer to God through pain or some type of shit. I don't know. It's some sort of masochism. Yeah. Okay, well, that makes a lot more sense why he would do that. But also, oof, the first time I saw that, the movie, that scene literally wrecked me. I had to, like, close my eyes. It was so hard to watch. See, I, like, didn't feel the same the first watch. I think I'm going soft, Annie. <laughs> starting to like gun <laughs> scenes now. What's happening? Uh but yeah, I um that was really like visually uh jarring and hard for oh God, yeah. I mean, I had I had to turn it off. Like I I yeah. couldn't watch anymore. I literally when I watch that that scene and any scene like that, I literally have to tell myself like it's fake it's not real it's not real yeah and usually i'm pretty good about stuff like that but i think just like seeing my crush ethan <laughs> be hurt it's personal yeah <laughs> well yeah i guess you know i really i don't really have like i don't have a glowing anything to say about this like it's okay it's mm. it's it's a hard watch. I don't know. It's like, and it's not, I don't think that it's the best that it can be. Like, first of all, it's two hours long. <laughs> like, I, th- I just think it could be better. But I appreciate it for, for what it is as a body of work. I see. It is long. It is too long. But I actually really like this movie, and I like it more than Taxi Driver. I think it's like a, I don't know. Uh, in my head, it analyzes a character progression, like a character, like what he goes through in a way that I either like more or it just works better for me. Mm. I don't know. I, I did like it. It's just hard to watch and I don't recommend it to everyone. But I, I before we wrap it up, I came yeah. to a little epiphany, I think. Okay. Here it is. I... I I have to explain the movie a little bit first. So if listeners are sticking around, they can understand. After Ethan Hawke is introduced to like the truth of climate change and after the Amanda Seyfried's husband who shows him, kills himself, Ethan Hawke is stuck with this question, will God forgive us? And he asks the leader of the mega church that his church is like affiliated with, he asks this businessman who is like sort of the low key villain of the movie. He even puts it up on the board outside of his church, like the little letter board. He says, will God forgive us? 
And he's asking specifically, will God forgive us for ruining the planet? Um, and this is my interpretation of the ending. Ethan Hawke wants to go blow up the reconsecration event. Is that the right word? God, I don't know. Anyway, he yes. wants to go blow it up because he is pissed off at this mega donor businessman who is ruining the environment, who has everything, who is like his, po- his hands are in the pockets of the church and blah, blah, blah. And he just wants nothing to do with it. He's upset. He thinks there's no hope. He wants to go blow it all up with a literal like bomb suicide vest. And then he's going to go do it. And he looks outside and Amanda Seyfried is walking into the church. And he told her to not come because she and she's about to move across this country. And like he didn't want her to be there because he didn't want her to die. And when he sees her, he like has a panic attack and he takes off the vest and he wraps himself in barbed wire. And then after he wraps himself in barbed wire, he like is about to drink like Drano to kill himself. Anyways, I think what is happening there is he is like literally about to go bomb a church. And when he sees Amanda Seyfried, his his only friend, he (laughs) asks the question him to at himself, like, will God forgive me? And he realizes like, what is what he's actually doing? He's like, oh my God, I'm literally about to go bomb a church. I think he realizes like the gravity of his actions and then immediately carries out his own like persecution because he's like, so upset with himself and what his like, what he was about to do. And that's how I interpret the actions there. Wow. Thank you for coming to my Ted talk. No, I, it makes sense because of like the, like Catholic masochism and shit. Yeah, and I always wondered, like, why he he pivoted so fast from, like, suicide bomb to just suicide. I guess it's not that far, like, many steps away, but, like, it just happened so quickly. I always wondered, like, what was going through his head? And I, that's the conclusion I came to. Wow. Yeah. He, yeah, so he was, like, enacting his own punishment. Yeah. For even his thoughts. Yes. Um. Tight. And then... The ending, he, Amanda Seyfried comes in before he can drink the Drano and then they start making out and then the credits roll. (laughs) But I think, I just want to say again, I think that didn't happen. I think he just drank it and died and the rest is like his fantasy, similar to Taxi Driver, like same ending, another similarity there. Mm. Yeah. Wow. You want to score it? That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, like I said, um, earlier, I appreciate it as a body of work. Um, obviously there are issues with it. It's not a perfect movie. Um, also not really a film that I can, excuse me, easily recommend, um, because of like how fucking difficult it is to watch. Mm -hmm. But with all of that in mind, Annie... It's an eight from me. What? Yeah. Whoa. So like, more you liked like, it more than Taxi Driver. I mean, yeah, it had Ethan Hawke in it. What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> it's that simple. Dang, I did not expect that. I was expecting a six. 
Mm. Well, I think it's just because I've what I watched it before and I really liked it the first time. Oh, and I okay. know that there's a reason that I really liked it the first time. I just was struggling to find those reasons on this watch. And I really think that it's just like a personal, like the world is falling apart type shit, you know? Yeah. Oh, I know. I yeah. also give it an eight. So the movie Maven score for First Reformed is an eight out of ten. Hell yeah. All right. Well, that's a wrap on our spicy double feature. Uh, if you want to talk to us, reach out to us on Instagram at Movie Mavens or on Twitter at Movie Mavens Pod. Or you can write us an email at moviemavenspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that's it. Movie Mavens out. Mm-hmm.